Well, good evening, everybody. As I mentioned earlier, my name is Father Chris Alar. I am a Marian Father of the Immaculate Conception from the National Shrine of the Divine Mercy in Stockbridge, Massachusetts. And it's nice to be here where there's warmer weather and not so much rain. We get tons of it. But if anybody, has anybody here been to the Shrine of Divine Mercy before? We have a couple. Please, if you ever come on out, stop by and ask for Father Chris. If I'm there, I would love to be able to say hello to you and if possible, show you around. And it's a beautiful grounds. We have 350 acres. Um, we have most beautiful wildlife. I don't know if you guys have them, but we have bears in our garbage cans all the time down up there. So, uh, but it's a beautiful area. And you might recognize our shrine uh, daily on EWTN, right, with the praying of the Divine Mercy Chaplet which is on daily at three o'clock on the East Coast. I don't know if they do it at 12 here or if they delay it till three, but this is from our shrine. And you might recognize other priests like Father Mike Gately, Father Don Calloway, and other great priests. Who are we? We are the community, the religious community that was entrusted by God and the church to spread the message of divine mercy. And how are we doing it? We're doing it with an influx of brand new seminarians and newly ordained priests that are vibrant. And I wanna start by showing you a quick video that'll give you an example of what kind of priests that we have. The church now more than ever needs holy priests. Men who will sacrifice everything for the greater glory of God and the salvation of souls. What attracts so many men to the Marians is that we are Orthodox, Marian, Eucharistic, and Apostles of Divine Mercy. Our men belong entirely to Mary. We are honored to bear her name three times in our official title. Fathers of the Immaculate Conception of the Most Blessed Virgin Mary. They want to be holy priests. Help them answer the Lord's call. Please support our Marian seminarians. Okay, so why do I show that? Well, especially because I'm in California, the number one state that we're getting guys from is the state of California. That's the number one state that we are receiving seminarians. So, sorry, they're flooding east. Our goal is to send them back west because pray for us, we want to open a Western Divine Mercy Shrine up here in the future. So please pray for us as we are, yes, we are hoping to do that. So. Very good. Okay, now, this is a picture of our shrine in Stockbridge. And by the way, we just filmed a brand new edition of the uh, Chaplet of Divine Mercy that will be shown on EWTN coming up after Divine Mercy Sunday. And as I mentioned, you might recognize some of our priests, Father Mike Gately's from California, Father Don Calloway, he's always in California, and others. Now, why do you come to our shrine or, for that matter, any church, like right here, Sacred Heart. 
why do we come to our shrines, our churches? Why? Here's a picture of ours. Can you see yours? Why do we come? We come to meet Jesus. Now, I'm going to ask you a question that they asked me when I came to the Marian Fathers. Who is Jesus to you? Now, for the most part, answers will vary. But I think you can get a common denominator there. If most of us were asked who is Jesus, we would say he is God. Would we not? Okay, so who is Jesus? Jesus is God. Now, if I asked you to please give me one word that best describes God, what one word would that be? Love. God is, well, we're getting there. We're getting there. God is Savior too. But the encyclical of our Holy Father, God is love. Now, let's take a look at this. So, the question, who is Jesus? Jesus is God. And who is God? God is love. But why love? There are many virtues that we could pick or attributes of God. You know, we could say God is omnipotent. This is true. He's all-powerful. We could say God is omniscient. This is true. He's all-knowing. But why do we say and think of God as love? Okay? Of all the virtues, and we have many, justice, prudence, fortitude, patience, faith, hope, but the greatest of these is love. Okay? We associate God with love because it's the greatest virtue. Of all the virtues, love is the greatest. Now, if love is the greatest of all virtues, let's look at this for a minute. Is all love the same? Okay. I mentioned earlier, I'm a graduate. I got my MBA at the University of Michigan. I love Michigan football. In fact, when I came for my interviews to the Marian Fathers, after I was finishing the interviews, they asked me if I had any special needs. <laughs> and I think they were expecting something like gluten-free or allergies or something like that. And they asked me if I had any special needs. And I said, Father Larry, God rest his soul, not really, but Father, I'll do whatever you ask me to do. Scrub toilets, mow the lawns, trim the hedges, whatever you need me to do, I will do. But is it possible... And I don't need days off. I don't need vacations. But is it possible that one or two days in the fall on Saturday, I can watch a Michigan football game? <laughs> and he says, you know, honestly, I don't think I've ever been asked that question before. <laughs> I said, I'm surprised some Buckeye hasn't been in here to ask about Ohio State. And what he said was, well, we'll see. He says, you must really love Michigan football. And I said, Father, yes, I do. Now, is all love the same? In other words, do I love Michigan football the same way I love my mom? She probably would say yes. <laughs> but of course not. We have different modes of love. Between a husband and wife, you have conjugal love. Between father and a son, you have filial love. But you know what? Of all the modes of love, the highest mode is mercy. You see, if we stacked all the virtues on this floor and I stacked them up on all the levels and put it on a slide here of all the virtues, and I mentioned them, faith, or, uh, temperance and justice and fortitude and faith and hope, love is the greatest. Love is the highest virtue. Now, within love, 
We just said there's a bunch of uh, modes of love. The highest is mercy. In other words, mercy is the greatest form of the greatest virtue. You can't do better. You can't do better. You want to get to heaven? I want to get to heaven. The surest and best way is to be merciful. Accept God's mercy and return it to your neighbor. Love God, love your neighbor. This is the key. You see, of all the virtues, the greatest is love. And of all the modes of love, the highest is mercy. What is it? Mercy is a particular mode of love that when love encounters suffering, it takes action to do something about it. Now, what do I mean by that? You all know what I'm talking about. We've all gotten home late night on a Saturday night. We flicked on the TV. Personally, I turned on the TV to see if the Detroit Red Wings won the hockey game. And we all come across those images of the starving children, the floods, the earthquakes. And we always say to ourselves, oh, that's too bad. And then we keep clicking. You see, mercy is when you experience that suffering, but you actually bring it into your heart and you do something about it. It's a particular mode of love that when love encounters suffering, it takes action to do something about it. So in other words, not only is it the greatest form of the greatest virtue, but it's the greatest thing we can do is to be merciful. That's why it's so important. It's the highest form of the highest virtue and the greatest thing you can do. Now, Father Kosicki, God rest his soul, defined it as mercy is having pains in your heart for the pains of another and taking pains to do something about their pain. Now, that's a lot of pain, isn't it? That's a lot of pain. Basically, what is he saying here? Is he saying we are going to experience pain all over your loved ones, your spouse, your children. We are suffering. We are suffering. There's so much brokenness in the world today that some people see no way out. And please join us because tomorrow we're going to talk about suicide. It's never the answer. But unfortunately, some people see no way out. We're going to try to share with you tomorrow, there is an answer. And the answer is God's mercy. But you might say to me, Father, how do you find God's mercy in something like this? This is very hard to explain. We're going to talk about this tomorrow as well. How could a good and loving God allow such suffering in the world and evil? But tonight I want to hit on something. We have a lot of pain and evil in this world. <clears throat> and you know, I put up the Florida because I was showing this exact slide at a mission just a couple weeks ago in Tuscola, Illinois. And after my talk, a gentleman came up to me and he said, Father, he said, my niece is a student at Parkland High School. That's where the Florida shooting was. And he said, you know, Father, for a year, she struggled. She lost 17 friends. And I said, I'm so sorry to hear that. He said, Father, Monday she took her life. And I just felt the whole energy in me just being sucked out. And I said, I am so sorry. And he said, well, Father, two days after she took her life, 
another student took their life. They had two suicides just a couple weeks ago of the people left behind after this tragedy. He said, Father, how do you explain this? And I know you will ask that same question. Please come tomorrow because that's the topic of tomorrow. In the meantime, what should we point out about this? Well, I want to mention something because the world is full of this right now. But I have a question. Does evil exist as a real created thing? No. What? Father, what are you talking about? No. Why? Who created all things? God. And God is goodness itself. Did God create evil? Or let me ask you this. Can God create evil? Father God can do anything, okay? Can he make a rock so big he can't lift it? Can God create a rock so big he can't lift it? Yes, Father, he can do anything. Oh, then he can't lift it? Well, no. Well, wait, uh, maybe. Uh, Father, I don't know. <laughs> the point is that's an absurdity. It's an absurdity. And it's the same with God creating evil. Why is that an absurdity? Because God's very nature is goodness. So if God's very nature is goodness, he can't create evil. Evil's not a real created thing. Okay, then, how do you explain this? All right, here's how we explain it. First of all, what is the definition of evil? Evil is simply a privation. You know what that means? A lack of the good. A privation of the good. Now, what do I mean by that? Okay. Who is goodness itself? I just said it. God. So when we pull God out of our courts, God out of our schools, God out of our companies, God out of our families, what are we doing? We're removing goodness itself. And what's the definition of evil? A lack of the good. So when we pull God out of our society, we are pulling goodness itself right out. And what's left is evil. Evil is a privation of the good. And when we take God out, we are taking goodness out and what is left is evil. You know, I am not advocating this in any way. You can rest assured of that. But my father made a very interesting comment about this. He said, you know what's very shocking? He said, you know, when I was in school, just a kid, junior high even, and then into high school, we used to bring our guns to school. I said, huh? He said, yeah. I said, well, did, where did you keep me? He says, in our lockers. I said, what? He said, yeah, with ammunition. I said, you're pulling my leg. He says, no, I'm not. He said, we kept our guns in our lockers in school in the 1950s. We all went pheasant hunting after school. And they all had their guns in the lockers. Now, I trust me, I'm not advocating this. But I thought it was very interesting. And I said, Dad, didn't you ever have a problem? He said, never. In fact, do you know how many high school or junior high shootings we had in the United States of America before Columbine? Zero. My dad in the 1950s said in a public school, public school, they began the day with prayer, read from the Bible at lunch, and closed the day with prayer. Now, you notice something? God was allowed in the schools. And you never had this. 
After the shooting in Florida, God bless him, he meant well, but the governor of Florida came on TV and he was talking, we're going to sign another legislation. I'm going to enact another gun law. Okay, God bless you. That's good. We need to try. But you know what? I'm sorry. Another swipe of a governor's pen is not going to end this. And it took, of all people, an NFL football player to stand up. And they started to interview him and then they never interviewed him anymore because you know what he said the answer is? When are we going to learn that we got to bring God back into the schools? This is the problem. So evil is good not existing. Privation, taking the good out. You know, I was, I got a lot of airport stories. I travel and I fly everywhere. So I have a lot of airport stories. My favorite airport story was probably when the Southwest airline pilot saw me walk on the plane and asked me to step off the plane. I went, oh no, I'm in trouble. And he said, father, are you a Catholic priest? I said, yes. He said, will you hear my confession? He held the plane so we could, I could hear his confession. So there's beautiful stories out of airports, believe it or not. Even airports can be good places. But one of the things that I remember most about the airport is I was in the airport a couple years ago and I saw a young lady in her 20s and she had a t-shirt on. And the t-shirt said, Columbine, Sandy Hook. What are these? The school shootings, right? And her shirt said, God, how can you let this happen in our schools? And then below it, it said, God, quote, I'm not allowed in your schools. Does that not capture it? You know, I wanted to get a picture of that girl, but I figured a priest walking around the airport <laughs> following this girl, I probably would be in bigger trouble. But it really stuck with me because that is so true. This is what's happening when we are removing God because of this evil from removing God, who is goodness itself, we suffer. We are suffering. What is the answer? The answer is divine mercy. Now, I don't know if you all can see this, but I'll show you. This is a beautiful picture. Now, can anybody see what? First of all, who is this guy? This is us. This is us. Look at this guy. He's just collapsed. Now, can you see what's in his hand? It's a hammer. Can you see what's in this hand? A nail. Guess what this is? You and me nailing our Lord to the cross with every sin we ever commit. Don't think that your sin is just private. Don't think that your sin doesn't affect anybody. You know, have you any idea why we have, I believe, so many hurricanes, earthquakes, tsunamis? Because every time we sin, we create a disharmony in God's universe. You do not just affect yourself and say, well, that's okay, I'll just run to confession. That is the answer, but that's not going to make everything perfectly go away. When we sin, we scar the body of Christ. Confession heals the wound, yes, but the scar remains. So when we sin, we are nailing our Lord to the cross. He feels every sin we ever commit with those nails. And this is us driving with a hammer and a nail right into our Savior. But our God knows that we are suffering. He knows we are broken and he wants to do something about it. What is he doing? He's loving us. Father Seraphim's definition of mercy is loving the unlovable and forgiving the unforgivable. 
Now, is this guy unlovable? You bet. So am I, technically. So are you, really. Is this guy unforgivable? Technically, yeah. So are you and so am I. What we've done, sin, is the worst crime. It's a crime against God. And I'm sorry, am I shouting again? Are you guys okay? Is it too loud? Is it too loud? Okay. I heard some of you go, yes. Okay. Now, this is divine mercy. Loving the unlovable and forgiving the unforgivable. We are both, so we are suffering. When you're unlovable, you're suffering. When you're unforgivable, you are suffering. So where do we find the answer? What is the penicillin? What is the remedy to this? Where do you find it? You're sitting in it. The church. The mass. Now, this is a picture of a church in downtown Detroit, where I'm from. You want to see the most beautiful churches outside of Europe, and I believe rival Europe, the most beautiful churches? Go to downtown Detroit. These Polish, especially in, in the areas of downtown Detroit, that build these most incredible parishes, are some of the most beautiful churches you will ever see. And this is where the answer is. This is where we find God's mercy. What we see here is the remedy, the penicillin. And this is the mass. Now, what is the mass? Okay. When I was a little kid, an abbot once told me, the mass is God offering God to God. Anybody here ever hear that? The Mass is God offering God to God. What's going on at the Mass? I just said a second ago, it's God offering God to God. What do I mean by that? Okay. First of all, you've also heard, not only does that person that you know of and love say, not only am I not into organized religion, but I don't need four walls of a church because I pray in my room. I don't need a mass. I pray in my room. And this is understandable. Scripture tells us to pray in our room, but it's just a start. You know why? Why is it just a start? Because when you pray on your own, it's like learning to walk. You have to do it. The difference is your prayer is imperfect. My prayer is imperfect. Why? Because we're broken. We're sinful. So our prayer, our private prayer is good, it's necessary, but it's not sufficient. Meaning, we learn to walk in our private prayer, but guess what? Where is prayer perfect? At the Mass. Why? Because it's the perfect prayer. Now, who are the prayers of the Mass addressed to? If you come to Mass and you listen to those prayers, who are they addressed to? Ah, I heard the answer. Most people say Jesus. The answer is the Father. All of the mass prayers are addressed to the Father. Who is addressing those prayers to the Father? Jesus. But is Jesus reading from the missal? No. Who is? The priest. That priest is in persona Christi, in the person of Christ. Altus, altus Christi. He's another Christ. Now, I'm going to jump on this one. The sexist church, the chauvinistic church, 
Why? Because they will not ordain women, Father. First of all, what? You think the church is sexist, chauvinistic? No, she has no power, no authority to ordain anybody but a man. Why? Because Jesus was a man. Now, I'm not going to stop there and just say deal with it. I'm going to explain it. First of all, what or who is God's greatest masterpiece? The woman. The woman. She's a much finer tuned machine than the man. Just look at the picture in your doctor's office. She is a masterpiece. And who was the greatest woman or creature ever created? Mary, a woman. Now, was Mary a priest? No, she wasn't. Now, no offense to Monsignor Lincoln. God bless him, he's a great man. But I got a question for you. Who's a higher calling? Now, I'm talking vocational calling, way of life, not the fact that he can confect the Eucharist versus someone who cannot. No, we're not getting that. We're just talking about a way of life. What's a higher calling and a higher way of life? A diocesan priest or a cloistered nun? A cloistered nun is a higher vocational calling in the sense of the way of life. So don't think that the church is sexist. No, it's just different. We have different roles. Men and women are equal, just different. You know, did you see that in the newspaper last week? They just spent tens of millions of dollars on that study, that scientific study, and you know what they concluded? Oh, Eureka, men and women are different. <laughs> oh my, I could, you know what? Give me $10 million and I could have told you that. The point is it doesn't make one less than the other. It means we're different but equal. So getting back to the mass, what is going on? The mass, as I said, is God offering God to God. How and why? Okay, I keep throwing you tangents here. I'm gonna throw you another one. What's the high point of the mass? Okay, most would say the consecration. Great answer. Anybody here like St. Maximilian Colby? You know what he would say was the high point of the mass? When you receive Holy Communion. All right, anybody here ever read Father Mike Gately's 33 Days to Merciful Love? Or I think it's actually the one thing is three. Anybody know Father Michael Gately here? You know what he says is the high point of the mass? And many theologians agree with him. Supercharged moment of the mass. It's what he calls the concluding, or I'm sorry, what he calls the greatest moment of the mass. The church calls the concluding doxology. The what, Father? Anybody here know what the concluding doxology is? It's when that priest in the person of Christ takes that chalice or that patent and that chalice and he elevates it and he makes the prayer through him and with him and in him. Oh God, almighty Father, in the unity of the Holy Spirit, all glory and honor is yours forever and ever. What is going on here? It is God offering God to God. God, the Holy Spirit. How did Christ raise from the dead? By the power of the Holy Spirit. Christ is offering himself. Yes, his own offering is in there. He's not just being a passive participant. Christ is offering himself, but by the power of the Holy Spirit, 
God, the Holy Spirit, is offering God, Christ the Son, to God the Father in atonement for our sins and the sins of the whole world. Why? Why does that sacrifice have to be offered? Why does it have to be made? We're going to find out in a minute after the break. <laughs> now, in that mass, while this is going on, the mystics tell us your guardian angels all come around and they kneel around the altar. Now, if they're coming around and kneeling around the altar, I got another question for you. How many guardian angels do you all have? One. Guess how many I have? Two. The tradition with a small t in the church is precept to guardian angels. Why? We need them. Before I was ordained, I went to an old grizzly, God bless him, priest. And I went to confession before I was ordained. And in the confession, I told him, Father, tomorrow I'm going to be ordained. And he said, are you ready for this? And naively, I said, I think so. And he says, just remember, tomorrow night at this time, your wanted poster will be in the post office of hell. I said, gee, thanks, Father. That's exactly what I needed to hear the night before ordination. And his point is well taken. We had a bullseye on our back. You know, my father was a Vietnam Marine. He flew helicopters out of Da Nang. And you know, if you talk to any Vietnam vet, they'll tell you. Those North Vietnamese snipers were so disciplined, they could sit in trees or bushes for days and not move a muscle. Why? They would watch squadrons and tons of American soldiers walk by and not move a muscle, not take a shot. Why? So that they could wait to get one shot at an officer and kill him. That's what Satan is now doing. For centuries, he's been plucking off the infantry, the common laity, and now he says, I'm going after the officers, and he's bringing them down. We must pray for our priests. Yes, absolutely. First and foremost, for the victims, if anybody here is a victim, please. I, I, the, I don't have the words to describe, but you know what? It's not just a Catholic problem. There are much higher rates, believe it or not, in most other religions. But that doesn't excuse it. You know what our rate should be as Catholics? Zero. Zero. That's what our rate should be. Zero. So I, I try not to get hung up on that, but I think it's very important. Now, where I want to finish right now before the break is this. What is going on in this Mass? Well, at that moment of elevation, consecration, your guardian angels circle around this altar. And the mystics tell us they're holding vessels. And what is in that vessel? Can anybody tell me what is in those vessels your guardian angels are bringing up to the altar? What you put into it. If you're sitting in the back of this church smacking on your gum, looking at your watch, saying, geez, I wonder what time the football game's on. Are you putting anything into that vessel? No. Don't make your guardian angel the sad guardian angel. <laughs> Give your guardian angel something to put into that vessel. Give them something, your hopes, your dreams, your joys, your sorrows. Put it into that vessel. And what the guardian angel does is he unites it with that perfect sacrifice of the son to the father. And he unites it back up for atonement for our sins and the sins of the whole world. And he puts your prayers and unites them with Christ and they are become perfect. Your prayers by yourself are good, but they're imperfect because we have sin. When you come to mass, those prayers are perfected and they become perfect. What else is going on at the Mass? All that you could ever dream of. You know, I could ask you 
when you were married. If I ask some of you, hey, when were you married? You might shout out, uh, Father, I was married September 8th, 1978. Whatever. God bless you. That's Mary's birthday. So when you were married, you were married in the earthly terms. But will there be marriage in heaven? Will there be marriage in heaven? No. Some of you are going, aw. Others are going, yes. <laughs> no. There will be no marriage in heaven. Why? Because the three objectives of marriage are what? What are the three objectives of marriage? One is procreative. You're open to life. There doesn't need to be procreation in heaven because everybody there will never die. Second objective of marriage is what? Unitive. You share in the conjugal act with your spouse. You're being united. In heaven, you'll be united with love itself, with God. There is no sexual relations in heaven. And what's the third and most, I believe, or a big, huge, important objective of marriage? Get your spouse to heaven. So if you're both in heaven, you've accomplished that objective. So therefore, there doesn't need to be marriage in heaven in the way we know it. Why? Because you will have the ultimate marriage in heaven to the ultimate spouse. Now, we in the church in our tradition have talked about the wedding feast of the Lamb. Now, have you ever heard this term? The bridegroom. Christ talks about it all the time in Scripture. Who is the groom? Jesus. He calls himself the bridegroom. Remember the parables of the virgins in the oil lamp? He talks about the bridegroom. And, and then when they question Jesus about how come your guys aren't fasting? And he says, when the bridegroom is with them, there is no fasting. But when the bridegroom leaves, there, is, there will be fasting. Remember that? Who is the bridegroom? Jesus. Who is the bride? The church. Who's the church? We are. We are the church. Now, we are the bride. Man or female, because your spirit has no gender. You are the bride. Now, when you enter into heaven, you will enter into the wedding feast of the Lamb. And guess what? Every Mass, you're, you're preparing. Do you know when you come up this aisle, you are making your wedding march? Did you know that? You are making your wedding march when you walk up this aisle. Now, in every Catholic wedding, when the beautiful bride comes up this aisle, who's waiting for her at the altar? Her groom. In every Catholic wedding, when the bride walks up this aisle, who's waiting for her at the altar? Her groom. Now, if that groom is waiting for her at the altar, he's standing there like this, and he's just full of joy. He sees the most beautiful spouse he could ever ask for coming up that aisle. They become one. They're united at the altar. And guess what happens that night? Consummation. The groom enters into the bride. Do you know if the groom does not enter into the bride, by Catholic definition, the marriage is invalid. If it is not consummated, the marriage does not exist. So in the Catholic marriage, the groom enters into the bride in the earthly tense. But when you come to Mass, you are the bride. And you're making your wedding march up this aisle. And who's waiting for you at the altar? Your groom, Jesus. Now, as Jesus is waiting for you at the altar, and you're the bride coming up, making your wedding march, what happens when you get here? It's consummated. The groom enters into you, the bride. The groom, Jesus, literally, physically, enters into you the bride and it's consummated. 
This is what's going on at the mass. It's a holy nuptial. It's beautiful. So this is what's going on. We, we in the church, it's just not come to stand, sit, and kneel. It's to engage in this most incredible mystery. This is what it is. The church, what makes the Catholic Church, the Church of Christ is the sacraments. The sacraments are just symbols. They do something. They're actual grace. Sacraments, if you remember your definition from catechism, are efficacious signs, meaning efficacious, they do something. They're not just symbols. They're efficacious signs of God's grace, instituted by Christ and entrusted to the church by which divine life is given to us, meaning the sacraments do something. They're not just symbols. Oh, Father, we have communion at our church. We have grape juice and bread. God bless you. That's communion in one sense. You're coming together, but no other church in this world claims or even attempts to say that they have the body, blood, soul, and divinity in that consecrated host. We have it so that Christ can enter into us and live in us. Now, if we don't receive him worthily, what happens? We lose that grace. So this is what's going on at the mass. We need to understand and how beautiful it is. And you know what? I think this is a good place to take our, our break because what I'm going to explain to you when we come back from the great break is the rest of the story. Please follow or subscribe to this podcast to receive the latest episodes and updates. If you have been blessed by this podcast, I invite you to leave a review. Reviews greatly improve our podcast ranking and will help spread this podcast to other people throughout the world. Are you enjoying this podcast? I invite you to listen to more shows brought to you by the Marian Fathers of the Immaculate Conception. Join us daily for enriching spiritual content, which will help you on your journey with Jesus Christ. Simply visit divinemercyplus.org for a complete list of our shows. That's divinemercyplus.org. Are you a Marian helper? Join our Spiritual Benefit Society and start sharing in the graces of all the daily masses, prayers, and good works of Marian priests and brothers all over the world. Sign up is free and easy. Simply visit micprayers.org. That's micprayers.org. Thank you. And God bless you.